Hello, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Over the Lines uh, podcast. I'm your host, Sean Zane Singh. And today we're joined, as always, by Yaran. Yaran, it's good to have you today, bro. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back. That's the way. And today we're joined by a familiar voice who has been on the show before for a Premier League review, but we've picked him up for this NRL preview and review. Ayush, it's good to see you on the NRL podcast today. Good to be back, lads. Thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. That's the way. It's all good, mate. Good to hear from both of you. Now, before we crack on to obviously reviewing and previewing the games, there are a few things we want to touch on. Um, firstly, sin bins. Now, there was a stat that uh, came out, I think it was last week or this week, and this season so far, they've had the most amount of sin bins ever. Now, Yaron, firstly, I'd like to get your take on this. What are your thoughts on this overall? I think the sin bin is just from a reaction based on what happened last year because we saw the like the amount of injuries that happened and then all that happened was this on report. So people kept on blowing up on them. So now this season, I think what the referees end up doing was like the second the players showed any sort of like injuries or hurt, straight away sin bin, in it though it's not touching the head or anything. So I think just because of that, the sin bin count went up. Also, a lot more is about the rock infringement, especially now with the new change at World with the six games. I think that helps it to increase it as well. Yeah, and that's true. And um, like we saw in last week's game, the Eels and Titans game, there are some very soft tackles that get resulted in a sin bin. You know, obviously, Junior Paulo's hit was a talking point, and uh, AJ Brimson came out and did say that it was a shoulder and it wasn't his arm. Now, Ayush, what do you think of this? I know that, you know, it obviously isn't right, but where do we draw the line on this sin bin rule? Well, looking at that specific that specific infringement, um, to me, although it was, it was quite a heavy hit, it seemed to me that it sort of slid into the shoulder, like the initial contact wasn't the shoulder, but then it does hit the shoulder. But if, if, the, um, if they're ruling that, you know, that is worthy of a sin bin, then that kind of contact, that, should be much much worse than a sin bin then right if if we're ruling that that was the shoulder then how is how is he just being sent off for a sin bin because that was a huge huge hit also if we're saying you say we send that off for a sin bin and that's for the head tackle that's what they were claiming for then shouldn't he be out to get in his i8 for 15 minutes didn't do that at all yeah and i as a fan you know and this probably pisses a lot of people off who watch this sport it's all about consistency you know if there is one flat rule that you know if it's a high tackle or if you get hit on the head you go for a HIA you know I'm sure all of us will be a lot happy in that sense but as we saw on the weekend you know hit on the head and he's still out there on the field but um like I've got the stats in front of me so far we've had 22 sin bins in total in 2020 we had six and in 2021 we had seven in total you know, and we're not even halfway through the season. Now, Yaron, where, how does the league come back and fix this problem? That's going to be the problem. Knowing that what the league's going to do, they're going to throw a bunch of walls at this problem and trying to fix it. And what's going to end up happening is going to be another round 10 incident. There's so much like rule breaking, sin bins is going to happen from it. I think what the NOL will have to do is just look at all the walls they added in and then slowly take them back. Because so far, as you mentioned, in those years, we did have less sin So why now are we having 22? So they had to look into that. It, it's true. And, um, you know, some, some people are saying that the game is getting a lot more softer, you know, as compared to the past few years. Like in State of Origin, we had some punches being thrown. We've had bigger hits being thrown at each other, you know. And are you, as a, as a NRL you know, supporter, do you still feel engaged with the sport, even though the game is a bit softer than what it used to be? Oh, look, I think we're definitely still engaged, but it's starting to, it's starting to push that boundary of, you know, too many stoppages, too many moments where it's just, it's sort of natural play and you should just leave it be. There's nothing necessarily too dangerous going on and we can continue on from that point. 
Um, but yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't say fans have turned off just yet, but we're getting worryingly close to that point. Yeah, that's it. And Yaron, what are your thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I, I think we I don't think um so far the past six rounds, we saw massive hits. And then when like Sinbin the fans reporting, it was just good solid hits. So I don't think the game's getting solved. But I do agree with you that we are getting a lot of stoppages for like very little thing that's happening. So I do think that is growing the fans a lot. It is. And um, well, look, hopefully they come back and, you know, sort something out. Obviously, Junior Polo is out for a week, I think it is. Yep. But um, yeah, hopefully uh, the NRL can come and sort this issue out. Now, the next talking point is uh, Cameron Munster. Now, there are reports out there that Storm are offering him 750000 for a um, you know, contract renewal and the Dolphins are offering $1.2 million. Now, firstly, let's go to Ayush because we all know what Yaran would think. Obviously, it's from his team. But uh, Ayush, put yourself in Cameron Munster's shoes here. You know, you're obviously at the Storm. We've got one of the best coaches in the NRL history. What are you going to do? Well, if I'm, if I'm in his shoes, to be honest, I'm running to the Dolphins. That's it. I'm going over there. I, if I'm Cameron Munster, I'm thinking I'm definitely worth more than that 750. That mm-hmm. 1.2 million is sounding a lot more like what I think I'm worth. And the Dolphins just seems like an exciting opportunity. He's he, Obviously, he's done a lot at the Storm, and Storm are a solid, solid team. And like you mentioned, a very good coach. Um, but I just feel like, yeah, looking from Munster's perspective, I think the Dolphins is a, too good of an opportunity to pass up. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the same page as you. Now, you're on, you know, this is obviously one of your star players in your team. He's a state of origin player. I think he's represented Australia as well. Now, you're comparing him with the likes of Jerome um, Hughes and Ryan Pappenhausen, who were both on around about a million dollar contracts. Now. Do you think that seven hundred and fifty thousand is a respect a respectable offer for Munster? I will say not. I will say not at all. But I do understand why they did reduce the pay, just because Munster is getting closer to him retiring as well, and I'm pretty sure they know they're gonna get a good like amount, like max five or four years. And knowing the strong history, they always like to start rebuilding the squad. As well, so they will look into like maybe Cooper Jones to slowly step in place. But I do have to agree with use. I do think he should take the Dolphin roles because if you look back in history, he only won a premiership. He represented his state, he represented his country, so he practically tick all the boxes. Also, you think about he's starting a family as well, so that extra five hundred thousand dollars would be beneficial in that case. So I do think it's best just to move to Dolphins. And also you're going to get a good coach, King Wayne Bennett as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, Wayne Bennett and Craig Bellamy, if you're talking about top-tier coaches, they're both on the same level, I'd say. Now, um, look, obviously, hypothetically, if he does move to the Dolphins, it is a bit of an older team, you know, compared to the other squads that are in the NRL. Now, you know, let's say Munster moves across. Where do you think Dolphins would finish? with the team they have at the moment? Um, I do think they will finish somewhere in the top eight. I won't say the top, but it will be like around the bottom area. But I am concerned they are getting a lot of old players, especially for this new squad. Yes, you want to get some experience played, but you want to be balanced half and half. And you do want some young players in there. So it is a bit concerning how long they can last until they have to go to the rebuilding phase. Mm-hmm. Are you sh- so do you think it's right for the Dolphins to go out there? Obviously, you know, they should grab a few experienced players, but at the same time, focus on a lot more youth players like your Reese Walsh and, um, you know, possibly Sam Walker. Yeah, look, I think with the younger players, I think they'll come in time as the Dolphins play a couple of seasons out. I think for the younger players who are thinking, who have to think a bit more long-term, they want to see whether or not the Dolphins setup actually works yeah. first, which is why I reckon the you know, Dolphins management has looked towards buying older, a bit more experienced players because they know they're a little more likely to get them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, if it works out for them, they'll have a good bunch of experience and then they can look towards those younger players and work them in as seasons progress and hopefully balance out the squad a bit. 
That's it. And um, well, look, for Melbourne Storm wise, if Munster does move across, they're not short of players. They've still got Cooper Johns coming up the ranks and, you know, they've still got a few more players coming up. So it's an exciting um, space for these younger players at the Storm. But look, we just got to wait and see. And I hear uh, Cameron Smith is also pushing Munster towards the Dolphins, saying that, you know, extra 500,000 wouldn't hurt you. <laughs> but um, all right, moving on to uh, reviewing a few of the games. And boy, Friday night, both games were extremely close. Yaron, give us your take on this Warriors versus Cowboys game. Oh, I got to say it was a really good game, especially for both sides, just picking up from the form they had last week as well. They both performed really well. Of course, since they're the bottom side team, you do expect them to have a lot of penalties and fouls. I've got to say it ended really well. Luckily, Son Johnson finally kicked a field goal. That took some time. But I've got to say, out of the game, I think both sides did really well. They are they did lose some players. So, mm-hmm. so they weren't like their top team squad. But otherwise, it's a good game. It was. And, um, well, to me, Tom Dearden is probably one of the standout players. He's having... An amazing season so far. Now, how, like, if he does play well, um, hypothetically, where do you think Cowboys will finish? Oh, to be honest, I just because there's so much of good teams, I don't expect them to be in the top eight. Just because I do think just their spine and their backwards, the back team, these are still getting development. And now the forward pack, they're now slowly getting some yardage just because of that. I do think they finished around the ninth and tenth space, but in the future, I do think they're going to do really well. Yeah. And, um, you know, Cowboys looked really good the first half. You know, they were certainly in top for, I think, majority of the first half. The second half, they did slack off. Now, you know, consistency wise, they're obviously, they weren't there that game, but look, they're an exciting team to watch. And, one thing that captured my attention was Valentine Holmes. You know, he's looking lighter than ever. He's looking as fast as ever. He's obviously a real threat for the Cow- uh, for the Cowboys, isn't he? Oh, yes. He's nice moving around, grabbing the ball. And to be honest, as a Queensland sport as well, him coming to our side, he's going to be just another turbo, just be able to move around, especially him in the centre. So really good so far. Yeah. Now, Ayush, moving on to you. So this Warriors team now... As a tipping or group us, now it's very hard to tip for the Warriors because there is so much inconsistency with them. And you always say, you know, the versus in, let's say, Roosters. So you tip the Roosters, but next minute the Roosters lost and the Warriors have beaten them. Now, in your, like, where do you think the Warriors will ideally finish the season? Oh, look, I mean, yeah, that inconsistency is a bit of an issue. Um, I reckon... They'll be somewhere near the middle with that inconsistency sort of balancing out. Like you mentioned, one game they're winning, one game they're losing. Um, yeah, with the last game, I did tip Cowboys just because just because of that inconsistency. I felt though, you know, it looked like maybe Warriors would go down one and the first half looked like that as well with Cowboys being up. But good fight back for the Warriors. But yeah, I reckon middle of the table around with that inconsistency. Yeah. And um, well, look, something that the Warriors will definitely need to work on is their field goal attempts. You know, they're obviously one from four from field goals. Now, I saw Reese Walsh having a few attempts, and then I saw Sean Johnson. Who do you think ideally should be their field goal kicker? I think Reese Walsh. I mean, yeah, I, think I was going to say Reese Walsh. Last year, I think he got like, if I remember, like three or two field goals as well during those tough situations. So I think he can do it, but I do understand why they give to Son Johnson just because experience. Yeah. All right. We'll um, moving on to the next game. And this was another close game, probably one of the games of the weekend, I'd say. It was the Broncos up against the Roosters. Now, Broncos, really strong start. You know, they came off the blocks flying. And um, one player who just surprised me was Katoni Staggs. You know, that matchup with Paul Monoroski, he was absolutely bulldozing him over. Now, Yaron, give us your take on this game. Remember last week, we even mentioned the only way Broncos going to stand a chance if Staggs will actually start playing. And surprisingly, he did. He was, like, really good. Got the ball, he scored. And even though I think so in the first half, he only got, like, one or three, two touches. Second half, he did really well. Only problem is, worst it had Joseph Manu. He just 
week in, week out, but the same consistent effort. And just like four dollars. I think from like Coco, he was able to score twice, just easily yeah. doing well. So I I think so Broncos did really well. I do give props to Sam Walker. Uh, he did do well and he finally got the all important conversion. So that was all good. For a kicker who's not very consistent, he's kicking at I think it's 53% overall. He hats off to him for getting that one under pressure. Yeah, and also if you think that 53%, that's like ground the middle on the yeah. edge, it's supposedly muscle was like less than 20%. It's like oh. Well, one player, one person who'd be happy is I usually had him in his fantasy team from what I can remember, isn't it? Yep, yep. Sammy Walker doing quite well for me. Yeah, it is. He is an odd one because even with the sort of his kicking rate not being necessarily the best, he still turns up nearly mm. every game. You know, he's got something. He had that um nice kick assist, I think, for the last try it was oh, for yeah. the Roosters, where he he fed the ball through really nicely. And he, he's, he's quick on his feet. I, I reckon his sort of um, infield play, it's really, really good. Yeah. Now, one um, area of the pitch that the um, Roosters will potentially need to work on is on the wing. You know, obviously Kevin Nyangama is one of the shorter wingers in the game. It was up against Corey Oates, who was an obviously a tower when you compare him with Kevin. Now, the try that Corey Oates scored when he, I think he jumped over Kevin and got that ball. Do you think that wing position is a bit of an issue? Because we've seen, you know, teams targeting that side on kicks and plays like that. So, do you think that's an issue? I will say not really, just because you do have, I think so, Joseph Brown, who partner up with him, doesn't he? Yes. Or oh, it's a Paul Mabowski. Mm. Paul's on the other side, isn't he? I think it's Joey, yeah. Yeah. So you have him partnered up. I think they'll be okay. Of course, kicking the highs is not going to be the best. They go against Eels, not going to look good. Uh, to be honest, I don't think there's any problems. They are injured, like they're wing players. So when they come back, I think they'll be all good. Now, there was a um, bit of an injury concern over Adam Reynolds. Now, um, I think one of the kicks he absolutely shanked. I think it was his second one. Now, he is obviously a bit older. Do you, would you would there be some red flags over his head at the moment, injury-wise? I would think so. Yeah, I would be concerned if Adam Reynolds with that age is, you know, especially. I mean, that shanked that that kick that was atrocious. It's terrible, <laughs> we, man. We were, I think we were all watching the game at the time, and we were like, "What just happened? Was that really Adam Reynolds?" Um, but yeah, no, I, I'd be worried. To be honest, I would be a little worried considering his age. Yeah. I'm worried on a different actual side is that he's not like throughout the game period, 80 minutes, he was bought for one purpose only for games management and make Broncos win games. So far, that's not happening. So it's a bit of a concern that Adam Reynolds not really doing that much effort to get them over the line. So yeah, he's you... not been able to steer the ship like he did at South, say. Yeah. Yeah. So would you think that he's a bit of a bust at the uh, Broncos so far? I will say constantly, yeah. But we do have to wait a bit more. I think so, maybe because their half partners kept on changing. Like now he got Billy Waters as well. Advocate, I think he was maybe the better option. Mm-hmm. So we do have to maybe wait to they get their partners out and they play, I think, so another four or five weeks together. And then we evaluate them, I'm guessing. And like we've seen teams such as the Eels, like um, over the past few seasons, their half pairing have stuck together, you know, and they've been consistent. And I guess, you know, once you play together for multiple weeks, week in, week out, you start to get a feel of, you know, what that player's like, what's his strengths and weaknesses. And I feel that, you know, Adam Reynolds has come into a team. He's obviously, you know, he's a leader, he's older, and he's got a few younger boys around him. And he's still trying to find out, you know, what's his strength and what's his weaknesses and just things like that. So, um, look, you know, Broncos are an exciting team to watch. And I think uh, Friday was a good display on, you know, where the team is heading. Obviously, the likes of Katoni Staggs and, you know, uh, Jordan Ricky, all these players, they're putting this team in the right direction. So let's wait and see to see where this team ends up. Now, our next game, it was versus Titans. A lot of controversy surrounding this. Not only controversy, there was a streaker as well. 
But um, you're on. Give us your take on this game. Oh, I gotta say, for both sides, they did really well. I do think Eels were the better side thing throughout the game, just because they were very consistent. They were able to get like above the 50 minute mark before their kicks, and they put Titans in their corner. So I think they did well. I think the only problem was that they did allow Titans just to score, and we know the Titans team. The second they score one goal, they just can mount up one after the other. So I do think it'll just need to work on the effort. And also the only problem now is that with one of break gone, that left edge is just going to be even more destroyed. Yeah. Now, Ayush, you know, this game, it got you fumey, didn't it? It did. It did, to be honest. Um, I can't remember which player it was in particular, but um, the, the sort of the holding of the tackle to get the ref's attention... Nice. To yeah, to bring in um, to be able to captain's challenge essentially. I'm not a fan. <laughs> I'm yeah. very much not a fan. It's um, I know I know Iran has a view. There's different views on this about um, looking at it as sort of being able to use the captain's challenge because obviously if they don't stop the play there, they don't get to use it. But it's um, it's yeah, it's just it's stopping the natural play of the game, I guess. And I, I reckon those those sorts of things should be left up to the officials rather than um, letting the players control control where the game goes. That's it. And we saw in last year's final, it was the Eels and the Panthers. And, you know, we had players diving all around. And, you know, it breaks up the momentum, you know, and it breaks up the attack for the attacking team. And, you know, it, it allows the defense to set up again. You know, it's, it's killing the game, as someone could say. Yeah, but, yeah, no, I definitely agree. Yeah, and um, you know, I heard Gutherson came out this week, and he he wants a bit more clarity on this captain's challenge, and rightfully so because you know it's it's a bit of a mess at the moment, you'd say, isn't it? Yeah, also, it is. It's yeah. Go ahead, I guess you go. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that um, it's it's that it's that momentum aspect where. We're playing the game, and then you can see, I mean, especially that second one, the player just jumps on and he's clearly yelling to the ref, he grabbed me, he grabbed me, he grabbed me. And, I mean, whether or not the, I guess, the challenge itself is successful, I reckon that's irrespective of it. In terms of the momentum of the game, we should leave that to the officials themselves. Mm -hmm. You're on, what do you think? Yeah, so this is why I'm like kind of half and half on this, cap- like the captain's challenge and how it's happening. The reason I'm okay with it is because normally if there's like an error that happened or a penalty, normally the ball will like stop and the play will have stopped completely. And then you allow the challenge. The problem is, is that you just play on, which they don't want to happen. So that's why they have to jump on a challenge. But the thing is, when you do jump on a challenge, technically is a work infringement. So when they do the captain say they are technically doing it wrong, they should be only focused on that moment, not the whole play. So I do think they just need to fix on that point. But I do agree with you, it is stopping plays a lot as well, which is kind of annoying. And if you think that in the future, you're just going to see a bunch of people, they're not getting in their way. They're just going to like trying to stop the play immediately just so they can challenge. If I could put a question out to the boys, um, Do you think, especially with that second, um, the second time it had happened, do you reckon there would have been more of an uproar if the challenge had gone against the Titans? Oh, definitely. Because if that happened, then they will have to do the sin bin. And uh, to be honest, if they did go against the Titans and they do the sin bin, maybe teams will stop doing that as well. Yeah, because again, again, with the, the sort of clarity aspect of it all, do the refs, do the officials even know what to do in that situation where yeah. they've stopped it for the challenge, they've now gone up there, the challenge was unsuccessful, but then like Yaran's saying, it's a rock infringement, right? So mm. are, they, are they aware of that? Are they catching on to that? Is the bunker looking at these sort of things? It's something that the NRL needs to take a step back and have a bigger think about these rules and how we're using them before it starts getting implemented. Because yeah, right now it's, it's just, there's too much inconsistency. There's too many different variables that it's just exists in a gray area. Mm. I guess I'll ask you this. Do you want them to kick, like, take away the captain's challenge? I wouldn't, I wouldn't take the captain's challenge away because I understand 
I understand the purpose that it's there for. I like why it's there, but I just I want clarity on how it can be used in the in the situations where it can be used. Because this this area right now, like I say, it's it's basically a gray area where um, teens can take advantage and try and push the momentum of the game their own way in technically an illegal manner. Yeah, definitely agree. I do agree that the captain's hands should be kind of there because. Your whole point of it is like there's only one referee and two side shots. <laughs> to be honest, the side people that Zach says, I don't know what they're doing right now. But yeah, there's only one referee. So they can't see the whole game. So I do understand the whole point of Captain Challenge, just so they can point out, hey, you missed something, look at it. But I do agree, there is some like clarity they need to do just to make this war a bit more better. Look, you know, I agree with both sides. And um, one thing like this is probably an example it's the a-league you know and they've obviously implemented the var now the var are running and they're looking at all the tackles they're looking at you know is the red card suitable for that offense you know is the offside is that correct should that have been a goal or not do you think that the bunker should be sitting up there and reviewing you know step by step is that tackle right if not let's talk to the referee and tell him to bring it back for a penalty do you think that would be a right move? Ooh. I, I don't know if the A-League that much, but I can already say that's a terrible idea. Just like, I remember last time, last year in the NOL, if there's like, when the bunker told the referees, oh, two plays back, there was a high tackle or something, bring it back, everyone hated it. Imagine eight, like soccer, soccer is not like, you don't have stoppies, like tackle one, tackle two, tackle three, it's continuously... So bringing it back would be painful. Ayush, what do you reckon? Oh, well, yeah, it is. I mean, with me and you being very experienced with VAR and the trials and tribulations, um, I understand that with NRL, it's a different scenario, just the way the game runs. Um, and Yaron's got a good point there. Calling something back from two or three plays ago and, you know, telling the ref that, all right, we're going to move all the way back here because of something that popped up. Um, I just think, I don't know, there should be a, there should be a set couple of, I guess, I guess examples or infringements that the bunker is looking at. So things very obviously, like how many times have we seen a forward pass been thrown? The the officials haven't caught it. We can clearly see it watching yeah. at home. The commentators yeah. are blowing up. The bunker has surely seen it. You could just, I mean, just bunker can just chime in quickly and stop the play then and there. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a tough one. I, I again, I understand the purpose of the bunker. I like the idea for what it's there for, but we need. I, the fans the fans want clear set rules where we can go, okay, even if we don't necessarily like these, at least we're aware so there's consistency. So then if I get if you know if my team gets called out for some sort of infringement, the next week this another team should be called out for the same infringement. I exactly. think if we get yeah. consistency along those lines, even if we're not the biggest fan of the rules, we'll start to accept them. Whereas if it keeps sort of flip-flopping the way it is right now, where one week a team does something and it's illegal, but the next week, because of all the uproar, it's not illegal anymore. I mean, that's that's points in a game. That can make a huge difference at the end of the season. So, um, yeah, if it all comes down to that key, I think, I guess, of consistency. If the NRL can clear-cut, create some rules where we can all be like, all right, we know what's going on, I reckon we'll be able to move forward very smoothly. Well, I agree. And, um, you know, like you said, there should be a, a blanket rule. You know, if it's a high tackle, if it's hit, if it's hit uh, his head or something like that, you know, send him for a HIA, whatever you need to do, but make that cl uh, clear and obvious, you know, and how good would it be to have one of those VAR boosts at an NRL game? That'd be good to see. But um, <laughs> <laughs> send it to the VAR. But anyways, it's um, look, this was a good discussion. And um, it's obviously a talking point that a lot of NRL fans are concerned about, you know, because consistency is, is it's important at the end of the day. And like you uh, mentioned, it can have an impact towards the end of the season when you're talking about points for and against. But um, yeah, look, there's a lot of work to be done. It's a work in progress and hopefully the NRL can sort it out. Now, let's move to this week's games. We're... We're lucky to have some pretty good games, I'd say, this week. Round six. Uh, first up, 
Raiders and Cowboys. Boys, give me your predictions. I will go first then. I do think this um, game will be kind of close um, for both sides. They haven't made that much changes, to be honest, and they kept the same team. I do think the halves is going to be very important for both sides, Jack Whiten and then Chad Townsend. But I do think just because of the performance from last week, I do think Raiders will just top at the end. I think they will win it. Ayush, what do you reckon? Well, I'm going to push the other way, to be honest. I reckon the Cowboys are going to come through in this one. I just feel like, especially with um, the last game against the Warriors, that first half performance, they were clearly on top, right? Um, they looked as though they were going to go through and they slipped up towards the second half. I reckon, you know, this week they'll work on a couple of things. They'll be aware that they can do it. It'll be tight, but I reckon Cowboys just to push through. Oh, interesting. Two different takes here now. Look, I agree with both of you guys, but um, from the performances that I've seen by the Raiders the past few weeks, they've they've looked really good. And, uh, you know, obviously with Jack Wyden and Nickel Cookstar at the back, I think that uh, Nickel Cookstar as a fullback, he's probably one of the more underrated fullbacks in the game at the moment. And um, I reckon the, the Raiders will win this, but it will be a close one. And wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if there's a field goal to separate these these two. Now, moving on, it's the Rabbitohs and the Bulldogs. Look, Latrell Mitchell out for eight weeks, as we've heard. Now, not only is this detrimental for the Rabbitohs, but for the Blues as well. Now, they've obviously lost Tom Trebojevic as well. Now, like this is probably moving a bit off track, but are you, you know, obviously as a Blues supporter, who would you have as your centres for State of Origin? Well, I mean, it's a tough one, really. Um, with Latrell and Turbo, I'm not really too sure. Do we want to r- rattle off a couple of options? I'm well, Turbo will be safe. I think he's going to come back in time. Yeah. I, you do have, I think, so the three main options that you kind of have is Pat Burden, um, Crichton, and Jack Whiten. Just like your three main options. Well, I mean, Crichton's been doing quite well at the Panthers when he does get the ball. Um, yeah, that, that's a tough three to push through. I mean, I'd to be honest, I'd be happy with any of those three, really. Yeah, they're all star players at the end of the day. Ooh, high yeah, quality. exactly. What about you, Ashan? What are you thinking? Well, look, you know, and over the past few seasons, we've seen Matt Burden rise to the form that he's in at the moment. You know, and Oh, he's not taking the foot off the accelerator anytime soon. So I reckon he's due for a call up. So um, yeah, my money is on Matt Burden here. But uh, look, it'll be interesting to see um, in a few weeks' time uh, this state of origin team sheet because um, look, the centers role, you've obviously got two fullbacks who the past few state of origin games were playing in the centers. Now, some may say it's a good move. Some may say it's not. You've obviously got Cody Walker, who's also in the conversation for that role. You know, you're right. What are your thoughts on Cody Walker if he does get picked for the Sims? Oh, don't pick him. Currently, I was just going to say, currently on this form right now, Cody Walker is a terrible choice to pick. I do agree with you guys. I think Matt Burn is the better option because we pretty obvious we can all agree that Nathan Curry and Jerome Luai is going to be your halves. And they already had like, like they were already like played some games with Matt Burden really well. If you just saw last year's game. So either Matt Burn or Steph Crichton. I do think Matt Burn may have the extra edge over um, Crichton. Mm-hmm. But also you have Jack Whiting, who's you do you want to be loyal to your players as well? He's been there for a number of years and he rarely goes start. So he's a top choice. But I do think Cody Walker, I just think based off this year's performance, I don't think he's gets spot. Are you back to this game? So who do you think will win? Rabbitohs or Bulldogs? Um, even with Latrell out, I reckon Rabbitohs push through for this one. Yeah. They've been looking quite strong. Um, I've liked uh, what is it, Ilias, the yep. half. He's been he's been pushing through quite well. He had a shaky start at the start of the season, but he's sort of warming up into his role. Um, yeah, I reckon Rabbitohs pushing through for this one. You're right, Kyle Flanagan. He's starting for the second week in a row. Uh, how would you rate his performance last weekend? 
Oh, he, I think he was like like MVP for sure last week. He was really good. I think he's really showing like the people that he is a valuable player and he wants to be in the starting squad. And that's like the main reason I think Bulldogs will get hit. I do think the past two weeks they have not performed well, mainly due to the fact they are versing like tough teams. But I do think so this week. I think they're going to pull a good challenge to the Webblows. And I do think they win. I think mainly because um, the Trail Mitchell is out. The Trail Mitchell, he wins this all off. And now that he's gone, I think Bulldogs are more comfortable. But I do think if Webblows going to win, I do think Cody Walker, he has to do something. I think he only had like three or four touches last week. And all those touches led to Ellis. So he needs to do something to help Lockwood Ellis because so far he's been the best player for them at half, which is kind of sad because Cody Walker's been there for ages. Yeah. But, you know. Well, you know, it's obviously going to be a good game, but um, I think, like your aunt said, Latrell Mitchell is a big loss to this team. Um, look, Bulldogs, the past few weeks, they've been really ramping up and form-wise they've been quite impressive. So I'd say it'd be hard to tip against the Bulldogs in this game. But, um, look, we just have to wait and see, won't we? Yep. Now, the next game, the Panthers up against the Broncos. Look, going to be a good game, but Panthers would comfortably win this, shouldn't they, Yush? Yes. I mean, it's it's very hard to see why they would lose this game. They've been in incredible form. Um, yeah, Broncos have been doing quite well. Obviously, we did touch on Stags really taking a heavy role and taking the game to the opposition. Um, but yeah, Panthers just look too good right now. Yeah. And uh, your own Payne Haast is out for this weekend due to some s- sanctions involving Albert Kelly. Now, you know, other than the fact that I have to take him out of my fantasy team, how much of a, of a loss is he to this Broncos team? I would say it's going to be a big loss, especially very early in the season when they're trying to just form that partnership up. So it's going to be a big loss for them. Also, it's going to see, because you know during that state of origin period, you're not going to have pain hearts as well. So it's going to be good to see how the team would gel. But I do think Pant is going to take it. He's the thing beating them up. But I do want to see Adam Reynolds and Billy Wallace trying to show some sort of effort throughout the game. Yeah. Well, it's two young sides up against each other. And um, look, Panthers just look too experienced. And we've seen what they're capable of. The past few, I guess we could say seasons. So all three of us, quite comfortably, the Panthers should win. Now, moving on to the Saturday games, Seagulls and Titans. Now, look, I'm actually going to say that this is potentially going to be the game of the round. Now, Yaron, what do you think about that? Who do you, who would you tip in this game? Well, I won't say the game of the round. We get to that shortly. But I've got to say, this game is going to be very tight. I was very surprised last week because I thought the Seagulls would be gone just because they don't have Turbo. But I've got to say, DC, he stepped up a lot. So I do expect him to do the exact same thing again. But I do think Titans, just because based on the performance of their second half with the Eels, I do think they're going to win it at the end. Well, you know, obviously the past few games, Titans, they've started off a bit slow. But um, second half, they've obviously made a comeback. Consistency can be in the conversation for this. Ayush, do you think that Titans can come on top in this game? I think they can, to be honest. Even with um, DCE quick kicking unbelievably well for the Sea Eagles, um, he's kind of keeping that team together right now <laughs> with Turbo missing and everyone. Whereas I reckon the Titans, like you've mentioned, that, that consistency is slowly starting to come through. Um, and I reckon, yeah, I reckon they can take it over the line against the Sea Eagles. Yeah, and uh, Sea Eagles obviously have Morgan Harper out this week because of COVID. It's a big loss for the Sea Eagles. Titans should comfortably win this, I reckon. Now, Storm and the Sharks. Oh, this will be a good game to watch, wouldn't it? Now, I'll start off with Ayush here. Nico Hines up against his old team. Now, um, look, Storm wouldn't say they're in the best of form, but uh, Sharks are flying at the moment. Where would this game uh, be won? Well, I'm predicting a Nico Hines masterclass here. I reckon, I reckon the just the energy of coming up against your former team, you know, wanting to push through and show that you've really matured and you're one of the big boys now. 
Um, I, I reckon it's going to be Nico Hans is going to be the difference here. You're on. What do you say about that? I would say this is for me. This is the game of the round. Just because, to be honest, Doms and Sarks. I think just because now you have got Nico Hines and Delph Nukin, they both play very similar. Their back line is very powerful and strong, and you always see them like half in the halfway line. They're just able to score twice easily. So it's going to be a very tough game. I am a bit surprised with the Storms, their interchange bench. They did went with like Brandon Smith and Tyrant Wizard. So they are going very tactical based rather than just getting a lot of forwards. So it does maybe show maybe the sort of game they're expecting to happen. I'm, of course, going to go for Storms for winning this. But I do think Nico Hines, he's going to show a massive masterclass in this game for sure. Yeah. And what a talented Nico Hines is. is. Um like you mentioned, the interchange bench is it's different to what we've seen in the past few weeks, but it shows that you know it looks like Melbourne Storm are doing the homework on the Sharks. Sharks are technically very gifted. We've seen what Toby Rudolph is capable of. You know, the back line just looks amazing. But you know what? I'm gonna go against Iran and I'm gonna go with Ayush here. And I think the Sharks would win this. Ooh, get ready for that. <laughs> Maybe we'll be sitting here this time next week regretting that choice, but we'll see. Uh, moving on to the Roosters and Warriors. Um, look, there's not much in this game, but I think the Roosters will win this comfortably. Don't you think, Kieran? Ooh, uh, okay. I do. Th- I will say it's a very, like, have to see each other again. As we mentioned, I used mentioned last time as well, Warriors are, like, very inconsistent. They sometimes do very well, sometimes they don't do very well. Especially now with Worcesters, they do lose, um, what was his name? Sorry, um, Drew Hutchinson. Yeah. They lose him. So he normally plays the first 20, 25 minutes before Connor wants to come in. And they got Sam Bells, and we saw him last year, the man of errors he did, which practically cost the Worcesters side their final escapes. So I do going to say it's going to be a very interesting game. But yeah, I, I do think maybe the Worcesters do pull off at the end. I do want Teddy to be a bit more involved. I think Walking Kelly is just going to do really well. Yeah. Well, you know, you're obviously up against a very experienced Roosters team. Ayush, do you think the Warriors will be able to handle this uh, Roosters team? Look, I reckon they'll put up a good fight, but I agree with you, Ashan. Roosters should pull through this quite comfortably. Yeah. I think experience will do a lot of the talking here. Um, Sam Veros is a big in. One thing that surprises me is Connor Watson having him on the interchange bench. Look, I'd start him if I was the coach, but um, I guess Trent Robinson must be saying something different to me. Anyway, never played 80 minutes before. That's the thing. Yeah, but we've seen as soon as he comes on, the ball plays much more quicker. The I think there's a bit more fluid plays when he's on the field. But um, yeah, it's an interesting 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 choice, but um, would you start Connor Watson? You're on. Um, I will say no because, and as a hooker, for the whole 90 80 minutes, you're constantly moving up and down, and especially Connor Watson, he's like your like new hooker. So you like Reed Marnie, your Harry Grant, your Brandon Smith, that he runs into the field, so he's using a lot more energy. So he does make sense at the later point, he does die off. I think what Trent Robinson's trying to do, he's trying to sift it just mm-hmm. so when the, the other t- opposition team, they are a bit tired, he's just putting Connor Watson in and he just put a wonderful show. So I do agree putting him in from the interchange bench. I think that's maybe the smarter move. Okay. I'll take that. Um, moving on, Dragons and the Knights. Now, Edric Lee is a big in for the Knights. Dragons... Haven't been the best of form at all. And I think Buzz said there are a bunch of rejects from other clubs. So, are you look? I'm assuming you're going for Knights in this game, wouldn't you? Yeah, I am. Interestingly, Dragons are up at $1.55 on Sportsbet, whereas they've got Knights as the outsiders, which is interesting. So, you know, if anyone wants to have a look at that. But um, yeah, it should, I mean, just based on form, it should be the Knights coming through on this one, I reckon. Yeah. Yaron, what do you reckon? I'm guessing why, I think so, because I think the reason why the 
sport bets a bit off because last week Knights got like four or five injuries, I think, throughout the game. So I do think that's maybe the reason why. I do think Knights are going to win easily. I'm just very, very disappointed with Dragons. Like their young players are in the reserves. Like, please get them in the starting squad by the before this game starts. Just please. Yeah, I'm quite surprised with Mozan by starting as a fullback. You know, Tyrell Sloan, when he's played, he's probably been one of the best players on the field, don't you think? Definitely. He's like, he's a young player. He brings like the extra touch and he's like, he's unique. So he's going to bring you the twice as needed, especially with Ben Hunt. Ben Hunt needs all the help he gets. He's like the only person trying right now. So it's just really sad. You're putting all your young players in the reserve and you have all these old guys. He's practically doing nothing. Hmm. And um, look, you know, Tarek Sims, oh, I feel bad for him at the Dragons. Hopefully he can find a good move in the offseason. But um, moving on to the last game on Easter Monday, it's Eels up against West Tigers. Look, this is going to be an absolute flogging, I think. Eels have made, um, Tigers have made a host of changes. Uh, look, one that surprised me is moving Luke Brooks to 5'8" and bringing in uh, Hastings. Now, Yaron, do you think that's the right move from Maguire? Um, The right move to bring Hastings in, yes. Moving Luke Brooks number six, interesting. I think so. Maybe they're doing that just because he'd be on the other side of the field, maybe just for defence effort, because if you do look at your ill side, you are kind of weak on one side. As well as I think maybe is that the reason they swap, but still, I'm just all along, I'm just very disappointed with the Tiger squad. I think so. The only, I think so throughout your whole squad, I think there's only three or four players I'm like at least proud of, and I just want them to move so they don't destroy their careers, which is their number one, the number seven, and their two edge players. I think those two are just the only good players. Eels, I'm expecting at least 40 or 50 points, keep them nil. Yes, do you agree with that scoreline? I mean, to be honest, yeah, 40, 40 points sounds pretty reasonable against this West Tigers team. They have been an absolute embarrassment so far this season. It would be, uh, I would, uh, yeah, I would not enjoy being a West Tigers fan right now. But um, yeah, look, I mean, Eels do obviously currently have a couple of issues going on on both sides uh, on each wing. Obviously, we've got Blake injured, who was filling in on one side. And uh, what's his name? Simonson. He's, oh, yeah. he's been having a couple of, you know, a bit of trouble pushing a bit a, a bit too deep into the field and letting players run around him. Um, but yeah, no, I reckon, I, I think Tigers might might score one Possibly <laughs> we might give them one, but yeah, now this should be an absolute drubbing for the Eels. Yeah, I think we're in for a masterclass. Um, it's good to see Morat Nikore back in for the Eels. He will be playing on the in the centers. Uh, will Penasini will be switching down to the wing. Um, Oregon Kafusi is starting where Junior Paulo usually uh, plays. And Sean Lane is in the starting lineup, pushing Ryan Madison to the bench. Now, boys, look, on this pod, uh, podcast for the past few weeks, we've been talking about Bryce Cartwright. Now, he's been in the team. Next week, he hasn't been. The following week, he's been in the team. You know, there's, a, there's no consistency. Now, if, you are, if you're Bryce Cartwright, I think this is his last uh, year at the Eels. Would you be re-signing another contract? For me, I will say yes. If you think about it, at the end of the season, you're going to lose Reed Money and Zai Papali. I think both of them are signed off to two different teams yep. as well. So I think Bryce Carter, he got like an edge position. It'd be twice hard enough. It really depends on what's their ill's vision at the end of the day. But I do know there's going to be a lot of other squads just looking out for him because he'd be a great interchange bench player at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Are you sure? What do you reckon? Yeah, look, I, I definitely think there'll be doubts in his mind. I reckon he's he's proven that he's good enough to at least have a regular, you know, starting um, position at, at least on the interchange bench. Um, but yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Like Yaron said, we've got a couple of players leaving. So 
maybe that gives him a better shot at having a more permanent position. But um, he'll definitely, if he chooses to leave, he'll be snapped up pretty quickly by any of the other teams. So, yeah, there'll definitely be some doubt in his mind as to whether or not he re-signs. Definitely. And um, one thing that's a bit troubling for the Eels at the moment, it's that wing position. Now, you you know, we've obviously got Sevo out until I think it's June. Uh, Sean Russell, he's out indefinitely. Waka Blake, out indefinitely. Now we're going and using some of our centers as wingers. Now, you know, obviously not against the Tigers, but against the top teams like Panthers, like Storm. Do you think that wing position will become a weakness for the Eels and a spot for other teams to target? Definitely. I think so. First of all, defense-wise, most of the teams are just going to go straight there, but they know in the middle of the pack is just too hard to go through. Also, if you think about it, in Moses' eyes, he gets so much triceps from kicking as well. So if you slowly start losing your wing players that can fight in the air, it's going to be very hard for Moses to start getting triceps. But he is getting some triceps throughout running the ball as well. So I do think it'd be kind of okay. But just in the top side scene, it's going to be a bit worrying to see. You know, you're on your stuck with uh, two massive Eagles supporters on this podcast. But um, a bit of a bold prediction, uh, prediction, Mitchell Moses is having an absolutely amazing season. Do we think he can win the uh, Dallium? Oh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think so far, like, isn't like Dylan Brown or Gato has been getting all the points so I think far? Mitchell's uh, leading for the Eels, but um, Ryan Pappenhausen and uh, Isaiah Yo is on top. I think Moses is, is about three points behind them. Is he? Okay. Yeah. yeah, then most like I think so in Moses' eyes, no offense. If the Eels win, he's either going to go to him or Gotho. Yeah. So they're just going to be fighting in between each other. But I do think if he be consistent, also he's one player he's not going to play steady balls in at all as well. So he's going to have a lot more games behind him. So I do think he may have a sense of getting up there. Yeah. Are you sure? I'm assuming you'd be as happy as I'm if he wins, isn't it? Oh, of course. Um I reckon one thing he does need to do, and we've seen him work on this a lot, is just run with the ball more. Um, Too often he's been just used as our sort of kicking unit, and obviously he's a gun. We've seen time and time again, especially a couple of fluky kicks coming through where we just, you know, hits off the padding and we think, how on earth has he done that? Um, But yeah, if he runs with the ball more and um, just a bit more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not necessarily trust, but just a bit more communication and working together with the other half. Um, yeah. And they've been coming through quite well slowly. But um, yeah, if he runs with the ball a little more, I reckon he's going to be up there for consideration. Yeah, well, I agree with you. And um, look, fingers crossed, we get an Eels Dalian winner. But um, oh, excuse me. Well, thank you, boys, for jumping on today. Really enjoyed uh, talking to you guys as always. Um, till next time, everyone, uh, stay safe and don't forget to follow us on Instagram at over the line underscore. Hope you enjoyed this episode and, uh, till next time. Bye for now.